Hey gang, welcome to episode 40 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive theater and its ilk. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from a very rainy Los Angeles, which we are so, so happy about. Um, episode 40, um, once again, surprised I got this far, uh, but maybe I shouldn't be because all of this is really great. Um, will we do something special when we hit 50? If I can think of something special, sure. This episode is special enough. We have Lauren Ludwig, the director of And the Drum, which is a show that is still going on here in L.A. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, you might recognize Lauren as being the director and creator of Hamlet Mobile, which I talk about a lot on the show as being one of my favorite things from last year. And I fully suspect that And the Drum will remain one of my favorite things from this year. More on the show in a moment. First, a few quick notes and some news because uh, it's a very busy day and I got to get going. All right. Um, let's see. We know what show we're doing today. We know uh, Lauren's here. I'm going to set up the show a bit. We just said that. Um, Los Angeles, the tension experience. This is something that a few folks have been talking to me about. Uh, it is unclear exactly what the tension experience is. Uh, even on their own website, they're like, are we a haunt? Are we an ARG? Are we an immersive theater thing? You're just going to have to uh, find out, which is admirable. Uh, Maker knows that those who have the courage to leap into a website and just start going down the rabbit hole are uh, a particular breed. Uh, if I had the time, I think I might be doing it right now. I'm just whack stupid busy. Uh, so busy, I have to use 90s slang to explain just how busy I am. Um, and thus, I haven't been able to. But if you've done the tension experience, let me know. Uh, I think there's some folks out there who are experimenting with the experience. Um, West Coast Edition, speaking of being busy, I was intending to get it out uh, this week and instead next week, hopefully early next week, doing some traveling this weekend. Uh, so maybe Monday, maybe Tuesday, just the way things go sometimes, kids, uh, if you are not familiar with the process. Uh, here it is. Uh, up in San Francisco, which is where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the Bay Area uh, looking to maybe, if I have the time, go hunt down Sophocles' unidentified fragment from Iota Works. Uh, it's one of those pieces they're, they're tucking away somewhere special. You kind of have to be on the inside uh, to know where it is from what I've heard. I'm hoping someone brings me in on the inside and lets me know. Meanwhile, back east, want to talk about New York for a second. We've got a couple of fun things coming up here in the next week. Uh, film related, actually. We've got Barbecue Films is presenting Beetlejuice's Wedding, which I wish I could attend. Um, I'm... I was about to make a really bad pun. I think you know what it was, and I'm not going to make it because now I've pointed out that I was going to make the pun. But uh, Beetlejuice's Wedding sounds like a lot of fun. I know from Zay that the Blade Rave was awesome. So you got to imagine that Beetlejuice's Wedding is going to be uh, very, very odd indeed. Uh, also, over at the McKittrick, we've got uh, Super Cinema coming back, and they're doing Bond Night at the McKittrick. So that's James Bond, that kind of Bond. Not, not any of the other kind of bonds at the McKittrick hotel a lot of a lot of super cinema stuff a lot of uh, a lot of immersive crossing over with the film much like secret cinema over in London because hey 
you get a theme and you can run with it. And who doesn't like uh, who doesn't like it when the movies come to life? Nobody. Nobody doesn't like it when the movies come to life. That's why Universal Studios exists in two locations here in the United States. All right. Now we go extemporaneous and we talk about and the drum. Lauren's going to set up the elevator pitch in a second. Uh, this episode is a lot of fun. It's really short. It's going to happen. You know, it's going to be over before you know it. Uh, we get deep into process. I love the way Lauren Ludwig's brain uh, focuses on process. So let me just give you my quick impressions of the show beyond it's awesome. Everyone should see it. Uh, this is a piece that evolved out of a work of poetry, a collection of poetry, and the decision was made to set it in the poet's house. It is a dance theater piece uh, primarily, but it is definitely fully immersive. It mixes a dinner party with a series of vignettes that flow together. Um, it is designed for just 12 audience members, and it's just a, a wonderful enigmatic delight that is wrapped up in a gift box with a shot of whiskey and a little bit of wine. Um, this is the kind of theater that blurs the line between the individual and the group experience that explores text thematically through physicality and you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you start trying to describe it, you find yourself describing things the way you would a dream, and it just sort of breaks down. And the funny thing is about this kind of work is that's when you know it's good. When you cannot properly describe what you're seeing with the words. When the words fail, the show is doing something right. One hopes. And in this case, it is. Um, all right, that's enough of me for now. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Uh, we talk fast, so you might want to... <laughs> I was joking about this with Lauren afterwards. You know, if your podcast option has the ability to slow it down by half, Lauren and I speak very quickly. The interview's just under 50 minutes. It's about two hours worth of conversation. So take your time, breathe, slow it down by half, enjoy. Uh, I think you're going to learn a lot about a, a little bit of everything. Lauren Ludwig, welcome back to the show. Hi. Hey. Uh, you just you just flew in from Portland. How tired are your arms? <laughs> They're very tired because I literally flew using my arms as wings. Yeah. You're, you're having... <laughs> You're tired, though, I imagine, because you're having such a busy, you're having a very busy year, right? I so am. we're here because of And the Drum, but mm -hmm. you just had uh, a TV show premiere, or is it about to premiere, or? It just premiered. Um, my other group, Lost Moon Radio, my sketch and music group, we have doing this project with True TV, which is a cable network uh, that I didn't know much about before this, but um, they're starting to do more scripted comedy stuff, and we're doing a series of historical sketches for them as part of their TV show, Late Night Snack, which just premiered Thursday night. Fantastic. Yeah, check so it you, out. So you've got television show up, you've got Immersive up, I just saw you did a movie a little while ago, you had mm -hmm. a web series up in Portland. I mean, my God, you're just you're everywhere, which is fantastic. <laughs> uh, but this is the Immersive Theater Show, so we're going we're gonna to dial down to end the drum. And afterwards... Uh, we're going kind of quick here because like the show is going to start invading in about 45 minutes and, and I got to run off as well. But 
Uh, I guess let's give everyone the elevator pitch for what And the Drum is. And the Drum is an immersive, site-specific, primarily dance theater-driven uh, piece uh, adapted from the poems of Martha Marion, who's an LA-based poet and performer. She's also one of the actors in the show. Um, and she came to me this summer and said, I want to adapt my collection of poetry to the stage. Would you adapt and direct it? And I read it and I responded. And so I was like, yeah. Um, so basically now we bring in audiences of 12 people at a time into her house and you experience just under two hours, the show is, this whole evening of it's part dinner party, it's part dance theater, it's part realistic and behavioral, it's part abstract and expressionistic, and it's sort of intentionally this collage of tones. Um, and by the end of it, you've interacted with the actors and with the other audience members, and you've experienced what is hopefully a very memorable dinner party. And that's definitely what my experience of it was, was that, and, and it was interesting because like both myself and Bill Radin, who's the, who's the, uh, LA Weekly. LA Weekly reviewer who goes to a lot of the immersive stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll run into each other. We'll be on the same night. It's like completely unplanned. This has happened more than once. I love it. Uh, and uh, we, we both, we, I think we both clued in and clicked into that feeling of this is like the strangest, most memorable dinner party I've been to in like a long time. Like Bill led right. that, with that in his headline. Yeah. And and there's there, there's this magic. And we're sitting right now. We are in, <laughs> I want to say we're on set. We're in Martha's house. And we're, I know. At, we're at the main dinner table. You're sitting where I was sitting at the at the dinner party. Uh, and I just call it the dinner party, right? Because yeah. that's that's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. it was this, and so what was, why, why'd you go that route? Because like this is the most interesting thing about the show to me is that you do a damn good job of blurring the rea- real with the fictive, with the poetic. And you're right, there's all these different tones, but there's something about the way you've structured this thing or something about the way you've got the actors going that makes those shifts work. So why'd you go in that direction in the first place? It's a great question. Um, so this is a piece that kind of found itself through the devising development process um, rather than I had a clear vision and knew and brought everyone there. It was more that the vision kind of revealed itself like that incredibly, I can't believe I'm about to quote this cheesy thing that everybody's quoted a million times, but it's like that Michelangelo sculpture quote where it's like the sculpture's in the piece of marble and he just chips away till he finds it. Not every process feels that way to me, but this one was. So we have the poems and off of the poems we would we would devise dance pieces or we tell personal stories that related to the themes of the poem. And sort of through that, it was just becoming clear that a range of things were interesting me, both dance and poem language, but also I love storytelling. I want audiences and actors to be speaking as normal people. That really matters to me too. So it kind of it kind of began to be this pile of options, these pile, this sort of all these interesting options. Um, and then when it came time to start deciding, I felt like the Rosetta Stone for this piece was what are things that definitively remind me of Martha and her work? Mm. And sort of she was my framework when I didn't know if it made sense in the piece or not. It was always like, well, is it Martha? Does it feel like Martha to me? Um, so I know her in a lot of different contexts. And it's like the poems are an obvious piece of her. They're always going to make it seem like her. But I also know her socially as a friend and a human. So she is somebody who loves whiskey with friends on the porch at 2 a.m. Like that really matters to her as a thing in the world and as a way to interact with the world. So I was like, I also want that. Um, 
And I personally believe that audiences really love a mash of tones if there's a deeper spine that connects it. Yeah. I think we love it. I think it feels yeah. very engaging. Um, and I, I feel well, like... it definitely keeps it from getting bored, right? Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like you don't... No, no monotone yes. sense of just like, oh, it's been this all, you know. Yes. That, that can exhast you. Like shifting totally. tones really gives you energy. Absolutely. And I feel like I see a lot of theater shows where it is primarily one tone the whole time, which isn't bad. It's just a different way of making art... My, I have always been drawn to things that are all over the place. I love a lot of like Asian cinema where it's like they don't they don't give a shit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They'll just like now we're singing and now we're fighting and now we're doing this other thing. That feels more natural to me and more like real life to me. Yeah. Than things where all the other tones have been stripped away and it's just one thing. So I've always liked that. You said that not every work winds up going this devised route for you in the chipping away process right. but was it is it a little harrowing to jump in to the process and know that all right i've got the poems i've got the house i've got martha what the f am i gonna do yeah. with this was that was it <sighs> did it, was it scary or uh that's is a it good always question scary? yeah it's just it's it's not scary in that that's the way i like to wake, make work is there's a date we have to open on that date and I don't have anything at the beginning besides a very clear, genuine piece of inspiration. Those two things are enough for me. And then it's like, especially once I've cast it, I feel like until I've cast a show, I kind of feel like, well, maybe I'll just quit. Maybe it won't happen. Do you know what I mean? And then as soon as it's cast and I can see the people, I'm like, okay, the show is happening. Yeah. And in as this soon as group, you convince some other weirdos to like. Yeah, exactly. Right? Some weird weirdos, and these weird weirdos are such a cool, weird mix. I I have wanted to work with dancers for a while, and I haven't been able to do it yet um this is the first piece and so i was just so excited to find all these people who can like act and dance and dance and act and it, it, that's just so awesome but also talk like real normal humans to other humans yeah that's its own skill that's that's a massive skill it and is especially in immersive stuff well it's i feel like it's a fundamentally required thing you know yeah. like I, I saw a few things recently where the the actors are it's interesting. I've seen a few things recently where some of the actors are being stagey and maybe one or two of the actors are being real. Yeah. And you just you just wind up like, can the other can the unreal people go away? Yeah. Can the and, and it's not and that's what was interesting about this piece was that, you know, all of a sudden someone's gonna be standing at a table and reciting a poem, but that person two minutes prior was being completely conversational. Yes. And so the, those was the yeah God English? Do you speak yeah, it? Yeah, English. Right. right? Speak What's it. What's up, Nelson? How no talkie? Uh, minimal caffeine requirement. Sorry, everybody. Podcast happens. Speak in my. <laughs> Must talk good now. Me make no sense on myself. Um, sorry, everybody. I'm I, not cutting. I'm not cutting. That I, I was about to make a joke about please cut this out, but it's great. Hi, no. Hi, mom. It's that, happening. Well, it's just well. No, it's my fault, not yours. I love it. Um, <laughs> Okay, so uh, was that a function of them, their ability, and you found out like, oh, they can turn on a dime, or was that a, okay? No, I cast it that way. Yeah, I cast it very consciously that way. I'll say this for Hamlet Mobile, I got lucky they could all be normal and human in a way because I definitely was casting towards can you lift up into Shakespeare, but also my taste in terms of the kind of Shakespeare style I, I respond to is people who have real grounded human emotions but can definitely lift the language. They can do both. 
And it turned out then as that piece evolved, when there was conversational, normal human interaction that was needed, they all could do it, thank God. But I didn't really cast that way. Mm. Um, This time, after Hamlet Mobile, I very intentionally cast that way. I actually think crafting your audition the right way is probably the first step to getting the right immersive actors. So it's like, for me, I have a big buy-in. Like, they have to devise two pieces of work for my audition. Like they, they, I don't say like show up and do Damn. your random monologue. I'm like show up, but it means so it means I see yeah. much fewer actors. Right. Um, but the people I see are already on board to some degree. So they came and they had adapted a piece of Martha's poem. They were ready to like verbally perform one of her poems, and they also had done a movement piece off of one of her poems just for the audition. And then. In the audition, the second thing I make them do is I, I made them improvise. Like, I made them do some scary improvisation. Like, okay, drop all the movement you did, and now I'm going to say a poem, and I want you to just dance to it and just improvise in front of me. Like, I make them... So I, I learn. Like, are they going to be brave in the rehearsal room and just try shit, you know? And then the third thing I'm really doing with them um, is just making them talk to me normally and often tell a story as themselves. Just, like, tell me about something in their life. And sometimes I would be like, oh, tell me about something in your life and dance while you're doing it. So I could see if they would be able to have their body be big and expressive, but their uh, soul and core and, you know, like that vocal performance be, again, behavioral. Yeah. And that was sort of how I would find out what they could do. What led you down the road to doing it that way? Was it what you had picked up in previous audition rounds? Yeah, well, a couple things. One is that I actually think I only want people who are willing to buy in big and go all the way in my processes. So if someone looks at my audition write-up and says that's too much work, I've pre-screened the right people out. Yeah. I only want pe- people who are going to do more work than is sort of reasonable or fair to ask people for, <laughs> for the little money we're able to pay them. But they love the thing and they're excited to make it so they'll do it. But right. I, I think that's one thing. I've also learned that I think actors are happier when they feel like they had to work for something and earn it the way we kind of all are. Yeah. It's kind of fun to feel like I fought for that and I got it. So I do think a rigorous audition is healthy for a process. Um, those things are big. I mean, I think the other parts of it were just like what is, I just kind of had a sense like, well, we know there's poetry, so they have to be able to live in that language space. We know there's dance. We did know there was dance going in. That was clear. So we were, you know, really pushing towards that. And then you can just see it in the room. Actually, the person who I first saw a glimpse of what the piece was going to look like when I cast the actress Taylor, who's, um, is the opening tap dance of the show. Um, she came in and did her poem she said, I said, okay, do you want to do the vocal part first or the dancing part first? And she goes, well, I kind of did them together. Is that okay? And I was like, of course. So already she's like, I have an opinion on how I think it should be. Can I put them together? And I was like, yes. And then she did it where she basically tap danced and recited the poem in and out of the rhythms of the tap. And watching it, I was like, oh my God, that's the show. That's the show. That's the show. Awesome. Uh, and so once I kind of had her and then I had Martha, it's like people could now fit around that bouquet. Yeah. And actually something, so the thing that opens the show is really close to what she auditioned with because yeah. it was just like that's the show that was great so kind of know when you see it I don't know no I mean it makes it makes absolute it yeah. makes absolute sense right I mean it's and it's it's just it's exciting to get this granular yeah like, I love I, talking about process at this level of detail too yeah like <laughs> yeah. I don't I mean the, the problem like I don't know like for those who don't get to see the show because this okay so let's talk about that yeah, for a second sorry, like, I guess. <laughs> this is a this this is again it's not I don't want to say I don't need the bad word but like it's not as exclusive in a sense as hamlet mobile mm-hmm. in that sure. it is for 12 at a time but it's still the the structures we're dealing with you've invaded someone's home yep. you've taken it over for a few weekends yeah um is do you feel do you feel like you're limiting 
the the reach here because you you've got this sort of stricture around it and that you know only on the weekends only 12 people at a time or is this just this is this is just the thing you want to make and that's just the way it's got to be I think part of what has called me to immersive theater at this time in my own development as a maker of things has been an obsession with the smaller and smaller and the more intimate and the more intimate. There's, I think, a lot of different ways to do this immersive thing. And I've, I've been to some of the larger scale things um, like, you know, Sleep No More and stuff like that. But I am personally basically only really moved to do it when it's quite tiny. That's, to me, the gift of this immersive thing. And I also, I believe it's, creating the most, what I hope are some of the more satisfying immersive experiences because if it is so few audience and so few actors, the interactions have to be more direct and intimate between all the participants. So that's personally driving me. I would say that as an artist and as a company, now Capital W, we are in the midst of the defining the oeuvre or whatever, right? We are defining it right now for ourselves, I think. Not that it won't change, but I think we're still experimenting with it. So what I'm hoping is that we find a way to do that level of intimacy, but be able to do 500 shows over six months or something so that more and more people can see it. Um, I do want to head in that direction, but I don't want to scale up in terms of more throughput, more audience members per night. That's not the way to scale it. To me, it's more shows. So I don't know that we'll be, we'll be adding some shows I'm hoping, uh, to announce really soon uh, that we're adding some more of and the drum, but they won't be ever enough to service, you know, running forever and ever and ever. Right. But I then, but I absolutely don't want to sacrifice the small to increase um, the number of audience who can see it. I want to somehow find a way to balance those things, which of course my producer Monica Miklas is like, <laughs> like excited by and also sort of horrified by. <laughs> She's like, okay, I'm not sure how we'll ever make money doing this, but I really love what's being made. So we'll figure it out. And she's really down uh, in game to try all that. So that's the way I want to be going. Um, you know, so for example, this summer I want to do something where it's for audiences of one at a time, but maybe it's an hour long show for one at a time. Uh, we talked a little about this the other day and I, I have no idea how to scale that, right? Or how to get enough people through, but I want to start now planning that into our schedule. Yeah. The, the knowledge that we want it to get to as many people as we can without changing the, you know, the format itself. So. Speaking of the format, one of the things we did after the show uh, was you, you brought out the, the flow chart you, mm. you had made. And, and just, just frame for reference, our last episode was with Third Rail Projects. And there's a lot of the structure of this show, I think it's fair to say, was inspired by Then She Fell. Definitely. So maybe like start, maybe we could start there. Like was like that, that what you locked into and wanted to explore that. that yeah. Thing. Well, I saw Then She Fell this fall for the first time. I was kind of late to seeing it and I loved it and was really interested and compelled by it. It also felt like a crazy magic trick. I'm, I'm really a learner by doing. Like I have to do the thing. So when I saw that, I was like, I have to figure out how that happened. I don't know how they did that. How did they know where I was supposed to go? I was just like so mesmerized by the sleight of hand of it. Um, so I did want to really try one in that style because I knew through doing it, I would learn both the benefits and the limitations of the form. Um, you know, frankly, I, I do think there are some interesting narrative limitations to collage-based storytelling like this. Um, it almost doesn't... The show, I almost thing doesn't have storytelling to it because of how collage it is. And certainly that's what then she felt, felt like for me. I felt like I was swimming in themes that ebbed and flowed. I didn't feel that it became 
in a cumulative way a story or a sort of had a, it did not have a climax for me though some other people I know I've talked to who saw then she fell it did have a climax for them which I think is so interesting too I think some of it is what you read onto it as the audience depending on what track you're in yeah. but for me I was like well I I don't I'm not trying to reinvent the audience mechanic this time out um, and maybe I will some other time be inspired to do that. This time it wasn't about inventing a new audience mechanic. It was about finding the best wine glass for the wine of this show. And for the wine of this show, knowing it was a house, knowing it was her house, knowing that we had all these rooms, it felt that what they had done with that was a good and interesting natural fit. Um, so we tried something inspired by that. I mean, I'm still, I guess, totally not sure, not sure exactly how much it is actually close to what they did in terms of um, I've heard they break it down by floor of the building yeah. that you're in. But well, it yeah. feels, that one feels, I mean, I've only done it once. Yeah. I might, I might splurge and do it a second time. Um, yeah, it'd be worth it, I bet. I, I think it'd be worth it. I, th- I, I worry about it becoming more academic for me because it's mm, such the yeah. seminal experience. It, it was, it was my real initiation into this space. I'm like, <gasps> the, this, I mean, it was my second immersive show, but oh my like God, my, awesome. the first one that I was really like, okay, this, 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 this has to be this. Uh, I worry a little bit about like you can't be initiated a second time, you know, no. slightly bit. But I know that if I go, I know where not to sit. Like I know like not to like line myself up in the same spot that I was before. That's it's like, smart, right? It'll of be like I want to go on a different track. But what's what's interesting there is they do have tracks. Like they because I mm. I liken that one to like a clockwork, and it's like everyone gets loaded in, and then they start the machine, and everyone's mm. you know it's it's like one of those. I don't know if you ever had this as a kid, but there was like a little. Um, little looping thing. It had like penguins on it, and like the penguins went up a little ladder, you know, like, yes. like, like and then and then the penguins and then <laughs> yes. the penguins slid down on their belly. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's <laughs> yes. that's essentially what what that show is. Like that's you're loaded up in, and then you, yeah. you, you ride it through. Mm-hmm. Except mm-hmm. everyone has a different starting point. Um, this oh, and the drum. I feel like when you showed me the, the the breakdown, you showed me the flow chart. I could see like, oh, all right. Like when I got pulled onto this run, that meant from here to here, I was sort of like on a track. These That's are things right. I was available for. That's right. But there's a central hub here, which yes. which also in the logic of a uh, of a dinner party, it makes sense. That, oh, go back down to the living room, right? Yeah. Someone goes, they they take you, maybe another person. You go to somewhere, you have a little side scene, right? And then okay, I'm done with you. Go back, go back to the other room, and maybe something's happening there, yeah. or maybe someone else comes in. Oh, you and you come with me, or just or just you and drag you off. So it, yes. it winds up feeling really organic because that's what would happen at a, a good dinner party. Good, yeah, that was definitely a touchdown for us too. It's like once we knew it was a dinner party, you then could make the choices in relation to that. Well, what's gonna make people feel like it's a dinner party? Well, at one point we have to have dinner together. That's just obviously now a scene in the piece. Um, but then being pulled off in different directions around that also feels like you're saying organic to the dinner party experience. You know, uh, there is a piece that takes place in the in the kitchen when one of the actors is legitimately finishing cooking dinner and she does sort of two cycles through this palm piece in there um, with two different little sets of, of two people at a time um, and that feels I love that I just love that it's a real thing at one point somebody takes um, an actor takes an audience member out for a smoke on the porch because it's like they're smokers you know and it's time to go have a smoke and there's a piece that happens out there so I really I feel like once we keyed into that as the construct it was easier to to also brainstorm too, of course, like, well, what other things would you want to have happen in a dinner party space? Yeah. Um, so I'm really glad that that's playing because that was that was definitely something we were aiming for. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it plays it plays really 
cleanly. Almost to the point where you have a real sense of what you're missing out on. You know, like people got pulled in to like yes. go to dinner and I was like, oh, oh make dinner. I was like, oh, they're, they're cooking in there. Oh, I, I might want to do that. But then like you forget about it because there's something else to go do. Yes. But you have that sense that like, oh, I did not get everything. The one thing, like the difference here is like if I came back, which I don't think I'm going to get a chance to because this, this is the way schedules are, mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know if I could figure out how to jump onto different tracks. Like knowing That's that I miss exciting. Missed, yeah. Like I, I, well, but I also worry. I worry that I'd be like, oh, I'd get the exact same run. I know you mean, yeah. Because like, I don't know where to, I don't know where to position myself. And there's something to like in, in Sleep No More, there's that whole idea of you know getting yourself signaled out for the one-on-one so there's yes. like all the the easter eggs like yes. you look like you're trying to and but not trying too hard and, and that's know. it's exciting at the same time it's frustrating like you know, I know. this fear of missing out the fomo of immersive yeah. all immersive work I, i'm sort of fascinated by this because the fear of missing out is what first inspired me to do immersive work because i had had such a frustrating experience at, at um, Sleep No More because I hadn't been single that at all and I didn't even know about it and I just I spent the whole time like stressed yeah. which is so crazy that's on me that's not the show That that's sort of like my own I did not expect to have that kind of an audience response to that piece I was so excited to see it and I spent the whole time like sad like mad and now I'm sort of fascinated because with Hamilton you couldn't miss out it's one person at a time one thing's happening it's it's all one on ones this but but yeah, the, that's true. The, though the completest. That's true. Now that's could, fair. You could miss. You could, out, and a lot right? of people did. Very few people did all eight. You were one of like five people that did all eight pieces. Yeah. And I think with this, it was the first time where I'm like, okay, I'm acknowledging that we're constructing the piece in the way where some people are gonna have the experience of fear of missing out, because they're gonna see different people having different interactions. And there is one way to read it, I'll say, for Anne the Drum, where that is also a real part of dinner parties. Oh, yeah. Where you see your friend flirting with this person, and you're kind of like, oh, I wanted to be flirting with that person, or whatever. Or, oh, I wanted to sit next to them at dinner, and I didn't. I that You could argue that that feeling plays into, again, what the piece is about. I don't know. I'm, I'll also say, like, it's one of my dreams to, like, maybe more consciously play with that feeling even i would say it's like right now not as consciously played with in this piece it's just kind of a fun side benefit that it's okay if you miss out and it's okay if you feel that way i think it'd be an interesting way to start an immersive piece would be leaning into that part of what i think is a, is a part of all of these pieces yeah yeah i don't know if it would be the most maddeningly anger inducing piece ever but <laughs> i mean i think it comes down to like if if you wind up having some kind of peak experience as part of it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this one is that you know each of the each of the sequences, you know, their authentic things are happening. You know, at one part, you know, I was up on the roof, and you know, we're we're, we're drinking whiskey, eating cookies, and a girl is dancing on the roof, and like yeah. pretending to like fall off the roof, which is like amazing, right? And that's that's a real memory. Like that's something that if I were just at a dinner party and it was just happening, I'd be like, this is great. You know, this is a great night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? I'll never forget this dinner party. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I and I won't. And and the same kind of thing happens at you know at then she fell. You have these little moments, or for people who get to have the one on ones, and and they they come out of it. So it, part of it's building that. The, the mystique of it is the fact that there's something going on in that other space. I don't know what it is. And in some ways, I feel like that's what makes this stuff more real mm. than mm-hmm. anything else. That's interesting. Be- because you are, by definition in life, you're missing out on other things. Everything else but right? the one thing happening, yeah. Right? There's, there's a, the kind of a deep vein of truth in, uh-huh. in that. And it, it does go counter to our sense of narrative completion. The thing about sitting in a movie yeah. is you, you might miss something because you're too thick to get it. <laughs> but... It's all there for you to see, and you can go back and watch it again and 
pick up the parts that you missed. And that's one way of it being rewarding with a film. With this, you know, if I go back to Then She Fell, I will sit in a deliberately different seat. I will have a totally different track experience. And I'll be able to put together a little bit more of the overall because I know I might get one or two things. Or at least I'll get it in a different order. If I go back to Sleep No More, I, will, you know, I won't follow Lady Macduff. I'll follow someone else. I'll make sure that I get off on a different floor. All right. that sort of stuff. I'll try and get off on the sixth floor to be, you know, get the magical stuff. There's a sixth floor? There's a sixth floor where they, <laughs> if you're the first person off on the sixth floor, they stick you in a wheelchair and wheel you down and they have the whole thing. The more I learn about the show, the more I'm like, I didn't see anything. Did you get to the candy room? No. I didn't get to the candy room either. I did get to see the rave, the really good witch rave. You did get to see that? I did see that. I didn't see that. That's the best. That did blow my mind. Yeah. That was worth the whole thing to me. Yeah. It was amazing. I, I didn't get to. There was a man with a bullhead, a uh, naked I, man with a bullhead. I, I, you no, know about the rave. It was great. I it was know. great. A woman it. suckled the baby. It was like, it was all oh, insane. It was insane. I know. It's everyone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but that's but it's interesting, like because that's such the er piece we all like, you know, yeah. work off on reference is like the whole point of that show. What's the legend? You can you, you have to go eight times if you're going to see everything, right? Oh wow, and yeah. It's, it's built to be obtuse. It's yeah. built to force you to, to kind of come back along the Which line. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 it makes money because of that, right? Like there's. there's I know there's that's pretty brilliant there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about it, you scale it up. It's like, yeah. can you do Disneyland in a single day? Not with all the people who were there, right? No. Like only if somehow you managed to wipe out half of humanity <laughs> and then keep them in Southern California. Could you actually right. do all of Disneyland in a day? You're right. Right? Yeah, and it's not bad to be thinking about those business concerns when you're making this stuff. It is fascinating to see a piece that's in this immersive world having gotten that level of acclaim and, and business success. I mean, it was it's really fascinating. I feel like that's a part of this that I have been less connected to or less interested or curious about. Um, but again, like I said, it's like I, I know I'm going to have to start getting more curious about it and interested in it. And it's a and it's a fair way to think about it. Yeah. You know, the hope is that the hope is that you're finding a way where it's co- completely married with the artistic impulse of the piece. Yeah. But that's I mean, that's always the hope. But that's tough. Well, what's interesting is that there are people out there who are, who are working in this space as well who will do pieces that are for one person. Right. Yeah. Like, it's like you know, be Odyssey Works up in the Bay Area, and like everything's mm. everything's about building a piece for maybe it's not Odyssey Works. But it's, something floating in my brain today. Sorry if I got that wrong, guys. Um, but they'll build an entire theater piece around a single individual. And like, it, it, it's like the game, right? Yeah. You know, they'll completely tailor it. And it, that's a fully, like, you know, there's there's no concern there about, you know, well, what's the financial model? It's like, mm-hmm. we don't have a financial model. It's pure art. But there's a level to it where that's like a potlatch. It's like, we're just going to throw all these resources at a thing and like, man, whatever. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing if you have the ability to do it. But if you've, come out of nothing you know if you don't have some other practice going that like can sustain you yes to do something like that it's just not a viable option right no um i wish it was because it's i mean look at the end of the day if i could survive uh, for all my life and all i did was make this podcast and run role-playing games for my friends and <laughs> like kind of maybe instagram food if that could be my career I'd be happy as a pig in poop. But <laughs> in my head, that is what you do all day, all those things. And that's what everyone thinks I do. That's not true. I have a real job. I'm, I swear. I'm shocked by that. <laughs> she talks to my bosses. Um, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying, you know, maybe, maybe people are right about some stuff. Um, oh, you can get me in trouble for saying that. But uh, <laughs> the but, comment boards are freaking out right now. Exactly. Uh, about all these uh, things. Good thing we don't have the comment boards. <laughs> refuse allow those to exist. Um, <laughs> When it came time to start putting the collage together, mm-hmm. 
what what was that part of the process like? Did you did it start knowing where things were? Could, like, could the beginning and ending of these two pieces mesh up, or was it like, all right, these are the spaces I've got, and I've got to work this flow? I make sure that moment where I have to take the pile of ideas where we've basically reached saturation point in terms of ideas. I make sure that at that point I have complete autonomy in the process. That's like sort of a non-negotiable for me because at that point it really feels like I'm going off into a cave and I just take the pile and I kind of go away and I really make sure I'm in a space where I'm disconnected from the other artists in the piece, my email, my phone. Like it's very, very the writer's cave. And it's just starts to be about following instincts and using logic as needed and bouncing between those things of, you know, I feel the piece starts with this. Okay, fine, great. Um, okay, and then I have all these index cards with all these names of the different dances we've done or the different poems that I want in the piece. And I start to just start to put them around and push them around and then I move them all again and then I move them all again and then I start to see where I have holes and I start to ask questions like, are all the actors equally well represented? Um, is, have I gotten every poem I want in the piece? Um, are there poems that have no staging yet? Are, is there staging that has no text with it yet? Um, and you just kind of start to make it, make it, make it, make it, make it. And I put all that up on a huge, big piece of white foam car, and I kind of showed it to, <laughs> when I was done with the first draft, I showed it to the actors, and I showed it to the producer, Monica, and, I, and, our, and our poor stage manager, who spent most of the process just panicked and hoping <laughs> that something logical happened at some point. I feel bad uh, for laughing about that. so but funny, some, though. There's something about the director mindset. We're just like, yes, the stage manager suffered. Oh, yes, we're yes, doing our exactly. job right. She just spent the whole time being like, I trust you. I trust you. Um, but then yeah, you, you know you're doing something right if the stage manager's panicking. You're just was, like, yes, she was really panicked. Yeah, she's doing great now. Now that it's all happening, she's very happy. Um, but the development process was a little nuts. But yeah, I showed everybody the big whiteboard, and I was like, here's our script. This is our first draft. I really never, never, never wrote anything scripted. The only thing that's scripted is the dinner party, which is a partially improvised, partially scripted conversation between the audience and the actors, like the whole audience and all the actors. Um, not to reveal too many fun secrets because I think some people might think it's entirely improvised every night, but it's not quite. Right. Um, and then uh, there are some other things that are kind of lightly, the interactions are very lightly scripted. Um, but mostly, especially if you got pulled into a room with an actor to have a little side conversation, that's almost entirely improvised. What we have set are sort of certain conversational sparks and questions they might ask, themes and topics they'll bring up. Right. Things that feel a little bit of, have a little juice to us. Um, you know, questions like, you know, uh, did you come here with anybody tonight? Uh, you know, things like, um, I don't want to say too many of them because I think it's kind of a spoiler, yeah. which you mentioned in your uh, notes on the show. But, yeah. you know, those things, we those the questions are planned, the topics and themes are planned, but obviously it's going to be so different every night depending on what people yeah. do so we kind of put those little things in the flow chart last actually when I kind of saw where the holes were around the pieces well to dwell on something for a second like, yeah talk about the, the dinner party because uh, I could feel while I was in it that like I mean it was it felt to me like that the offers were clearly being made by the cast members to you know push the conversation in a certain direction yeah and there's definitely a point where like a, a storytelling bit sort of takes over and there's a yes. point where a poem takes over and like those are clear. It, it, it still feels to like it, that it emerges out of what was happening, which is yeah. nice. That's a sleight of hand there. Good. But what's interesting was the night I went, we had like like a third of the audience was the family of one of the dancers, like the Texan family of one of the dancers. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> and they were super comfortable with each other. It was and, great. And so that dynamic was absolutely fascinating. So what I want to know is like, how? what's been the range on the audience? How much... 
in that scene alone, how much has the audience changed the show? Hugely. We on our opening preview night. Um, well, the first time we did the dinner party with a full set of 12 audience members who were, you know, one or two were designers, but they stayed quiet on purpose to not influence dynamic and kind of see. Um, that night, we just had a couple of people who were like more down to do immersive stuff. That's why they came to the first preview. And they were, you know, they were friends in that world. And they were so bombastic. I watched the actors suddenly realize, oh, shit, we can't just say the lines. We are going to have to be listening so hard to the whole room to, in order to jump in with the next thing that has to be said but make sure we're doing it in a way that's really organic that was so cool to watch their brains all suddenly realize at the same moment and watch them all suddenly do that tap dance together was jb one of the people that night just, <laughs> yes how do you know that because we we wound up at a show together oh my god <laughs> and i watched him go jb uh, yeah, yeah jb's one of my actors from hamlet mobile and yeah. so and he he loves immersive stuff so i invited him on that preview night to see what he thought he also actually provides some voiceover work in this piece and he was so excited and bombastic in the dinner. At one point he said, gosh, I just, I, sorry guys, sorry to interrupt, but I have to say something. And then he suddenly realized he was being so loud and kind of intense that he suddenly said, I just need to make it clear, I'm not an audience plant right now. <laughs> he, an- he announced it in the middle of the immersive show. It was, I was, <laughs> you could feel everybody in the room be like, he kind of just broke the piece, but in the best way. Like, it's because you can't really break the piece. Yeah. But there's that moment where he's kind of reminds you, everybody, it's a piece. Right. There's actually, there's been another, a couple of funny moments like that. Um, one of the, that night you came, one of the guys, Texas, Texan relatives, um, he was this sort of uncle that uh, was not, has not been to anything like this ever before. Right. At one point, an actor pulled him kind of aside. And then when the little moment was done, the actor kind of wandered away because there are some times where he intentionally le- let you wander and n- n- don't tell you where to go exactly. Yeah. Not everybody, but there are some. And he, he you, the uncle kind of stood there for a second and he kind of loudly said, am I dismissed? <laughs> like he didn't know what to do, but in this great way. And so you, I just love watching the actors deal with that stuff. Um, but yeah, to come back to the, the earlier point, the dinner party is really different. There was another night where it was an incredibly quiet, reticent audience. They were very respectful. It was really quiet. It was really fascinating. Um, and the actors, basically, their persona in the party ebbs and flows and changes mm. to complement the diners in the audience that night, I'd say. Well, that's smart. Yeah. That's smart. Like, I think that's that's the thing that you can start to see in people who are good at this form. Yeah. Is they will, they will tune into what the audience is feeding back to them. Yeah. Uh, and not just be like, well, I'm supposed to do this now. Yeah. You know, like, boom, 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 got to hit this energy. This is a thing, this, you know. Yeah. Well, we train on that in the rehearsal process. I mean, part of the reason it's, I feel like, I feel like it's it's working for people and we keep, obviously we're going to keep honing and trying to get better and better at it, but we're doing exercises to work on that and help with that and help on being more responsive and improvisational in the moment, like the whole process. Yeah. That's basically the entire, a lot of the rehearsal process. Um, when we're not devising, it's sort of like they're listening to each other, making that stronger, and that you know by proxy gets them more tuned into the audience too. I feel like that's got to be a part of any of this for the actors. No, I, th- I think it did on right. I think it's the most, the absolute most critical part of. I mean, it's not like everything has to be realistic or no. behavioral in order right. for for this form to be interesting. Like, yeah, it's it's perfectly all right for things to be abstract. I mean, Sleep No More sort of teaches you that you can have something be very, very, very abstract. They also give you the mask and they sort of say, shut the F up, you know, wear this. You are you are separate from what's going on. You are here to observe. Yeah. Uh, as you start to blur the line, you, you start to enter into these 
engagements where it becomes more and more real. And and for me, that starts to feel more and more like stage magic in that like something's going on here, but it's just at the limits of my perception. Yes. And that sleight of hand, it's an emotional sleight of hand as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, how am I going to bring someone in? Oh, we talked about this too, because this is something I think a lot of people are struggling with, which is when it's going to be interaction. Yeah. How... And you mentioned that you, you guys found this, I think, from first preview on, like how aggro in terms of approaching the audience the the actors were. So- oh, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I as a human have a lot of like force and energy and drive. And so when I, when we started working on the transitions between the, between the sort of pieces, at first I really thought of them as transitions. And when I was sort of like getting the actors to a place that, and I was sort of modeling for them like how they might take the audience different places. And after the first preview, we very fairly got the feedback of like, whoa, it feels like everybody's kind of rushing everybody around a little bit. And I realized it was because they were kind of emulating how I had done it for them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I was like, oh no, it's like they were following the Tasmanian devil as a, as a source of inspiration because I definitely have a lot of that energy. So I was like, hey guys. Um, <laughs> so, so two huge revelations for us were one, there are no transitions. There are basically um, stationary pieces and moving pieces. That's for, I always like to say that the director's art is the transition. That's got to be a hard pill to swallow. Like, the thing that I do is not going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, they, that's interesting. I kind of, I'll say this. I feel like it's a relief. I think what I was sort of originally thinking was like that people were going to be bored by moving between the pieces. So we've got to go quick. But then in reality, Every audience member was like, every moment is, if they seem interested, we're interested because we never know what's about to happen. We think it's all part of the piece. Like, we're, we all want, we want to be engaged every moment. We don't want to feel like we're just in transit. Mm. And so I feel like, one, the audience really wants that. And then two, it turns out, and this is such a revelation to me, the actors' work improves when you think of it this way. I thought it was going to be a drain for them, feeling like they're on stage essentially for two hours. But as soon as we said there are no transitions, you never drop out. In fact, you just accumulate. You accumulate experience as an actor over the course of the night. So however piece ends... You, that's the space you're in and you're now moving into the next place where you know you have to go but you don't let go internally of the experience you just had. Right. That ended up making everybody's performance stronger because they basically got on an emotional roller coaster and didn't stop until the mouse. They just went. That's something really I, I hadn't even thought about for people in this. So, I, I so mean, interesting, it right? Seems so, I mean, it seems as an end user of the product, to use a (laughs) techno term. I love it. (laughs) uh, You don't even think about the fact that, you know, yeah, in any other piece of acting, you know, unless it's a one-person show, that actor gets to step off for a while, drop the mask, take a drink, set themselves, psych themselves back up. For a film, it's like drop it completely. But like, it's almost like, okay... For the next two hours, your Johnny Depp meets Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. Congratulations. You're not leaving character. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, again, it's like, that seems like that's a big ask, but I they've all really discovered and sort of said that it feels like a gift because you, you just, I actually think it's a lot of energy every time they drop and pick it back up. It's that gear shifting. Yeah. It, it takes yeah. a lot of effort. Yeah. And so there's something nice about being like, I'm just rolling. And I'm not, and there's also a nice letting go of control that you have to do in that space. I can't control my whole performance. I just have to allow whatever space I'm in to be, to work and be okay. And this is a piece where that's fine. They don't mm-hmm. ever, there's no crying on cue that must occur. So, <laughs> so it's totally fine to be in that space for this. So I 
they have seemed to all be saying that they are enjoying it, and I do think the the performances I'm seeing bear that out. And even just like on a, on a technical level, to, yeah. to speak specifically about like that the, the handling of the audience, yeah, like as presented to me, it it felt. I mean, one, everyone's got a name badge on so yes. they can call you out. So that's, which I found like really helpful. It's like, you Good. know, you know, you and you come with me. That you feels know? like a dinner party thing too. I wouldn't just shout at somebody at a dinner party, you and point. I'd be like, Noah, come with me to the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and but when they would sometimes lead us by the hand and they just like gently take our hand and it kind of moves on. And there's something about Good. this, this thing where being an invited in, right? Mm-hmm. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was talking about this with a friend yesterday because there's, there's some issues around consent yeah. Uh, in this space, uh, and and I was talking, well, t- having this conversation a lot because there's some pieces where they're kind of like leaning into it the way the horror shows do, which is sort of like, okay, you've you've shown up, so you're ours, right? And right. I think I think in an extreme haunt, that is like the social contract. That makes sense. In in an immersive theater piece, it isn't necessarily the social contract. Yeah. You know, like you have to be rather explicit about it by putting something like extreme haunt in front of it. You've defined it. Like that makes sense. If, if you're challenging people, to say like, oh, you know, and they do. They say you're going to be handled. You're going to be this. You may crawl. You may be manhandled. We yeah. may put a bag over your head, and you're like. Here's $150. Please do this to me, right? Because <laughs> right, right. some people are really, really, really into that. Yeah. Other people, they show up to a show and it's like, even just the act of like, I'm going to get up in your face and I'm going to scream at you. And I was talking about this with one friend because that's what her experience of a show was. And she was like, I was trying to not make eye contact. I was turning my head away and they didn't read those cues. Mm, right? Interesting. And that's, that's like, that's dangerous. I, can, I yes. think it can cause... One, you know, well, I do worry about the audience, right? You know, it, it, it could trigger somebody, which is not great. You don't want that situation no. necessarily. You don't want an audience member freaking out because it breaks the peace. But on top of that, you know, there's there's something about it, it moves everyone out of the piece if the actor isn't reading the audience member, if there's going to be some level of interaction. Yes. So if someone's turning their head away and not looking, it's like they're disengaging. You let them disengage. Yeah. You, you almost, like, need to. You can't force the point Mm -hmm. there's a way that you can play at being like you know scared like it's it's it reminds me of uh doing status transfer games in in uh sure in in theater class where it's like you know you make eye contact then you look away but then you make eye contact again like i'm playing low status but i'm still engaged i'm checking and engaging but i'm showing you that i'm right not right right and 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 just some of that fundamental stuff and maybe it's just that people aren't working with that kind of material anymore and that's why some actors like don't know how to deal with it but you guys your troupe I felt did a really good job of inviting people in and I feel like once you've got that buy-in once you've invited someone in and like you know you've you've offered the hand and if someone takes the hand then that starts to it builds rapport it builds trust so if later on the night someone touches me on the shoulder and like leads me on I I'm already in a comfortable space, right? You know, I'm, yeah. I, I'm settled into a mode. I mean, I'm a little bit less likely to like wig out about it, but like, you know, not every day. There are days when I'm right. like, I don't want to be touched today. It's yeah. like I'm, I'm being prickly. I'm a porcupine today. But being invited in, it's like that res- the reciprocity. Yeah, you know, and it's it's very basic, you know, human stuff. It is. It's making me talking about this and hearing you talk about it is making me sort of. Uh, investigative thing about something I think was happening unconsciously um which is but now I'm trying to put conscious words to it you know I think that for me what feels like the ethical thing is that the form of the piece and the content of the piece should fit 
the treatment and to dictate the treatment of the audience. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense if it's an extreme haunt that the audience has signed up for something different, especially, and obviously on like a legal level, if that's been expressly put on the website and all these other things, everyone yeah. should know going in. Yeah. At people, we are very expressive uh, or very clear about this being a dinner party. And so what I'm realizing I was doing unconsciously is everybody's treating you never outside of the realm of how you might be treated by friends at a dinner party. That's the hope. Like a friend at a dinner party might grab your hand or might put a hand on your shoulder. Um, They wouldn't put a bag over your head and shove you in the closet. (laughs) That's why that doesn't happen in this space. You know, you've been to my dinner party. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. I guess it depends. Kidding. kidding. But uh, he's not kidding you guys. Um, But but I do figure that's like, for me, I'm realizing that's kind of always the, the compass is, what is the piece want? What is the content sort of demand? How can the way we treat the audience help them engage in the content of this piece? So I'm probably less likely to sign on to any sort of general ethics with it and more say it really should be fitting each piece. And it what seems probably disorienting is where it feels like someone's pushing in a way that's like not even not justified by the content. Right. You know, I'll say like you, you I'm not sure if you notice this, but all the actors in our piece treat the audience a little differently because what we started to get to after that opening sort of experimental night was that everybody should have the transition sound like and feel like them. So like mm. uh, Eli, who's one of the actors in the piece, for example, I don't think he touches anybody when he transitions with them because that's just not his vibe. Versus Taylor, one of the other actors, is much more of a grab the hand kind of a person. That's right. almost the persona she's embodying at the party. Yeah. So she's like, you know, yeah, grabs you and brings you to the roof. Whereas he kind of like politely asks if you want to go to the porch. And so we're making sure that the transitions reflect the different people as well. Yeah. Well, and I think I think you're dead on Ryan that, that the form needs to match the content yeah and that, and that includes like the the interaction form but because you yeah. know because like I'll, i've gone to extreme haunts and like and I'm, i've been like fine with it like i've, I've signed up i mean not, not it seems the, scary well you know the first one i went to like i hadn't done anything of that nature and and it had gotten some of my friends are like so into it that i, I think they i would have enjoyed it more if people hadn't talked it up the way yes, they did totally. I, it set my expectations we were with i still have some absolutely lovely memories of that piece and i actually think the people who make that piece think that like i liked it i liked it less than i did but like the farther away i get from the show the fonder my memories become mm-hmm. a bit which is really interesting like i, I find myself being like softer about it and, and thinking back to certain things that happened I was like that was really cool like this moment was cool and this moment was cool that's cool you know i, I really enjoyed that um and then there was another piece that was was done by uh, it wasn't expressly a haunt, but it used a lot of the same dialectic. And you know, there's a few moments where I was sort of tense. I, I it turned out that I have you know you have like the fight or flight or shutdown instinct. Yeah. Somebody I was talking about with a friend the other night. She said I just had the shutdown instinct. I'm like that's not good. Um, I didn't know that I had the fight instinct. So like I go through these things just kind of going like, don't don't hurt the poor underpaid actors, you know? Like like if someone jumps out at me, like my instinct would just be like headbutt. And I'm like, no, no, can't headbutt you. Sorry, 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 you know? And, and the thing is like, I'm not going to let myself go in that. So that's the thing. That's right. why I'm not in... I know they're not for me because oh, I'm going to I'm going to spend an hour suppressing, right. you know, wackier instincts. Right. That was the doorbell. That was the doorbell. Should I go open the door? I think we should. I'm going to pause for a second. Okay. All right. Okay, so the actors have started to arrive. That's what the doorbell was. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so this is the the part of the show where we, we wrap up. Um, so, the, so the, you are looking at the possibility of like a, some kind of extending. Yes, we are. Form. We're already identifying some dates. We might be able to add some shows of Anna Drum. So we will announce those on our website, capital W Performance dot com. Uh, also, there's a Facebook page and event for Anna the Drum. So you guys can check out those places, and we'll announce soon. Fantastic. All right, that. That will be it. 
one of the otter, one of the otter ends of the show is like, the actors are here, we gotta go. I know. Uh, it's kind of a flashback <laughs> to the first Hamilton one we did in the van for like 15 minutes in the van of like, quickly, just get done. But this was, this was good. This was good. Good. Um, talking process with you is, is always fun. And maybe at Love some point. Love talking process. Maybe at some point we'll, we'll come back around and do it again. Um, and maybe at some point, like, no, that'd be unfair to people. I was like, I was like, we should go. Good. I was like, we should go to a show and then analyze it. But we should not do that on air. Um, oh my god, that sounds well. What if we went to one where you didn't know anybody? That sounds so fun. Okay, I love talking about shows and could analyze forever. So I'll just lay out there that I would totally do that. But you're right. Yeah, that might be a little whatever. Be a, little, a little scary for folks. So. Yeah, but it would be fun. But so. we should we just do that in general. Well, we should just do that in general. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to record it. Does, is Frank into these things? <laughs> he is, I'll, yeah, my Frank's my husband. Uh, he is into these um, more now that I do it. I think he thought he wouldn't be as into it naturally, but he's actually finding that when he goes, he's more. Um, responsive and awake in them and, and participatory than he would have guessed so I think he's getting into it fantastic so then yeah. we'll, we'll drag we'll drag Frank yeah we'll take so Frank as well that's fantastic uh, that, that was what that was aiming at alright this whole podcast has just been you asking Frank and I out on a date basically that's what this podcast has become about for the past year actually I love it yeah, <laughs> long con it. long con <laughs> great alright Lauren thank you so much thank you Noah Again, want to thank Lauren Ludwig for being my guest on the show. Want to give a shout out to Monica Miklas, uh, who is Lauren's long-suffering producing partner as part of this. Uh, another shout out to the entire cast uh, who were waiting outside for a large part of our interview. Uh, maybe someone who didn't know protocol locked a door and uh, kept them outside. Maybe. Maybe that was me. Because it was. All right. Um, hey. If you don't know how to find us on the regular, here's how you do it. Uh, you know, we get chatty over on Twitter at NoPersinium. Uh, we archive a lot of stuff and uh, some folks, you know, post other things over at Facebook.com slash NoPersinium. Zay and I write some reviews and essays that go at Medium.com slash NoPersinium. I got to watch out for that Medium dash. Uh, we like you to email us about shows that are coming up that you are either making or know about or just discovered or maybe there's a cocktail recipe you think I should try that is no underscore proscenium at outlook.com you find the show here uh, if you would like to help us make the show even better and we're we're trying to get kind of like a war chest together to do some some bigger stuff going forward. Uh, that's patreon.com slash no Um, you know, if everyone who listened to this show, uh, gave a dollar a month, uh, we, we, we wouldn't be doing too badly. We'd, uh, we'd be able to get away with some shenanigans and don't you want us to get away with shenanigans? All right. That's enough. That's enough of everything. Uh, busy time, busy week, uh, watch your inboxes, I'm going to be up in the Bay Area. There's going to be some fun interviews that I'm lining up. And uh, we should have no service interruption for the next two weeks. Might have a service interruption the week afterwards as I recover. And uh, that's it. That's all there is. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.